chapter 11, and I'll give you the text a bit later on. You know, one of the first things as a preacher that, and as a pastor that you have to realize is that you can't please everyone. Yeah, it doesn't make any difference, you know, what you do. People, uh, there's such a division among people. I mean, you know, you have Baptists and you have Protestants and you have Catholics and and a lot of other things in between. You have Republicans, you have Democrats, you have independents, uh, independents and so on and so forth. But whether you like it or not, I feel compelled to speak to you uh about the first family. And I don't hesitate to tell you that it's disappointing, dysfunctional, destructive, dangerous, and disgusting. I, I know someone's thinking, oh no, there he goes again, getting involved in politics. Well, you're wrong. I'm not talking about the president's family. I'm talking about the original first family. And they didn't live in Washington, D.C., by the way. The first family started way back in the Garden of Eden, but soon they were banished from there, and uh, even before the first child was born, finally the first child was born as a son by the name of Cain, and then Cain Abel, and then Seth later on. And uh, after Seth... Uh, was born, Adam lived 800 years, producing numerous sons and daughters, but only three of them are mentioned in the Bible. And so by the time that, by the time that Adam, when I say mentioned in the Bible, I'm talking about by name, Cain and Abel and Seth, only names that we know, but by the time that Adam died, the whole world was basically in a mess. And it's just hard to imagine how something that started out so good could turn out so bad. Remember, in the beginning, they resided in this beautiful garden with everything they needed. And more importantly, they had unfettered access to God Himself. But then after the sin, the sin of pride, by the way, that was brought about by the devil's deception... It deprived them of all of those blessings and it disallowed them to approach God unless they had the proper sacrifice. And that was prescribed clearly uh, by the Lord to Adam and to Eve and then communicated to them later on. Back in Genesis chapter number 4, you don't need to turn there unless you just want to. I'm going to look at just a few verses that tell the story it says in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord and Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect and Cain was wroth and his countenance fell and the Lord said unto Cain why art thou wroth and why is thy countenance fallen if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, 
and slew him. How amazing is that? You know, growing up, uh, it, it is apparent that both Cain and Abel had been instructed. Now, they had only one source uh, that we know of. Well, the only one source was their parents, of course. And keep in mind that Adam was the first prophet. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's what the Bible tells us. He was the very first prophet upon the earth. And so Adam had instructed them as to how they could approach God. And so as time passes, Cain becomes a farmer. That's an honorable vocation. Thank God for the farmers. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, Abel was a shepherd. Certainly not anything wrong with that. And I suspect now you know the rest of the story. How that Cain's offering was rejected. Abel's was accepted. And the result of that was that he was so embittered as a result that he killed, murdered his own brother. Now, when we look at this story, there are several lessons to be learned from it that we don't have time to dwell upon. But there in Genesis chapter 4, we learn several things. We learn about there being a restricted place of worship. Notice it says he brought. In other words, there was a designated place where they were to meet with God and to bring their offering to God, a restricted place of worship. There was a reserved period of time because it says in the process of time. There was also the religious propensity to worship. It was something natural just as it has always been throughout history and that's why religion Everywhere is so popular, whatever form it takes. People are just religious by nature. It also tells us that there was a, a right plan to approach God. Uh, you see, we can't come to God on our own terms. Cain tried that. It didn't work out, you see. We have to come to God in the manner that God prescribed. And then in that story, we see the resulting penalty for rejecting God. Now, I mentioned that to remind you that both of these boys knew what to do. Both of them realized that they need to worship God. Both recognized that they were sinners. Both relied upon an offering to approach God, yet one missed the mark while the other made his mark. There's a big difference in the two. So when it comes time to worship, both boys bring their offerings. Cain's is rejected. Abel's is received. That started the first religious persecution because when he was offended by uh, the, his rejection, he murdered his own brother. And notice, he didn't just criticize him. He didn't just contend against him. He murdered him. I, I mean, you know, so the first man born of a woman was a murderer. Think about that. The first man born of a woman on this earth was a murderer, and he paid a high price as a result of it. Rather than approaching God with the blood sacrifice, he brings the fruit of his labor. Now, that's an act of pride. It might have seemed a reasonable thing to do because he probably figured, you know, this beautiful basket of fruit is a lot more attractive than an old bloody dead animal. 
It tells you Cain wasn't an atheist, by the way. He believed in God. He believed he was a sinner. He believed that he needed to do something to show respect for God, but his pride caused him to miss the mark. He was was very religious, but the problem is he was self-righteous. And and that was the reason that he was rejected. Then he becomes depressed. His countenance is fallen. He becomes angry. He even refused to listen to God's corrective rebuke. Never get the idea that it makes God happy to see people punished for their sins. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the Bible tells us. And, and so even whenever Cain disobeyed God, brought of the fruit of his labor instead of a blood sacrifice, God was patient and God instructed him, but he is in no mood to listen to God or to anyone else. All he can think about is taking it out on his brother. So he murders his own brother. You see... Our attitude toward God always affects our attitude toward other people. There's so many times that folks will wonder, well, why is it that so-and-so doesn't love me, doesn't respect me? Why do they treat me the way they do? And so many times we take it as a personal offense against ourselves. And the reason behind all of that is a spiritual problem. It always gets back to that. Because when we violate that first commandment, the first and great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, when we violate that, we also are unable to keep the second part of that. And they go together, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so out of a fit of rage, he murders his own brother. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about this, and, uh, and all, all of it's important. But I want, I want to speak to you about the second son, because the second son tells us in our text here in Hebrews 11 that, uh, that although he's dead, he's still speaking. Notice verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. Now think about that. I mean, this tells us that that this is a story worth remembering because we have absolutely no recorded words of anything Abel ever said. We know what Cain said. He made that clear. But we have no recorded words of anything Abel ever said, and and yet his story is still speaking to us even today. It's a story worth remembering, a story worth repeating, because after all of these many centuries, Abel is still speaking to us. And when God prompted the author of the book of Hebrews to make a list, as I said yesterday, it's a list of the heroes of, of, of faith. And it, notice he starts with Abel of all people. The man who, as far as we know, never uttered a word that we have recorded for us. And the fact that he's first on this list, I mean, he's 
ahead of all of the others. You think about Abraham, the father of faith, and Noah, and all of these others that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And Abel is at the very first of the list. And that tells us that there is something very important about this story. So today, I want you to hear what the dead man says. And by looking at his life, we can learn some lessons that we need for our lives. And as I said already, there is so much to be said here that I'm, I'm just going to rush through some things. And then I want you to focus on one thing, one final thought at the end. So here's what we learned by listening to this dead man still speaking today. The first thing is that faith rests upon God's revelation. I said yesterday that our faith, when we talk about having faith, we're not talking about positive thinking. We're not talking about just you know, hoping and wishing things would turn out right. We're talking about the fact that we have placed our confidence or our trust in something that God has said. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it's obvious that Adam had instructed both Cain and Abel. And here we see Abel doing what God required as an act of faith. And it rested upon not his opinion, of what he felt like he ought to do. It didn't rest upon uh, what was popular with other people. But this is what God revealed, and that's where our confidence must be. Secondly, we learn this lesson, and that is that faith receives God's acceptance. Hebrews eleven six says, For without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, because faith responds to God, then God accepts us in the sense that He is pleased with us. And so whenever, whenever Abel presented the blood sacrifice to God, he was saying, I'll do it your way. When Cain did what he did, he simply saying, I did it my way. That might have made, made Frank Sinatra proud, but uh, it didn't impress God. I did it my way. Well, I said something I'll have to explain. The kids don't have a clue who Frank Sinatra was. And his song, I Did It My Way. And uh, that's the biggest mistake you can ever make. We don't do it our way. We do it God's way. But it was his pride that prompted him to think that his way was, was as good or better than God's way. It's like... He thinks he knows as much as God does. And out of pride, he does what he wants to do instead of what God told him to do. The third lesson we learn from this story is that faith reveals righteousness. Notice again in our text there in verse 4 of chapter 11, it says here of Abel that he obtained witness that he was righteous. And we read over in Matthew chapter 23, it speaks about the blood of righteous Abel. And again and again and again, he is mentioned as being a righteous man. And so it was the result of his faith. Faith reveals righteousness. It is evidence that we are righteous before God. Number four, faith 
raises resentment from those that are self-righteous. Of all people on the earth that stood in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the religious crowd that despised him the most. The Pharisees, those self-righteous Jews that thought they were head and shoulders above anyone else, they were the ones that resented the Lord Jesus Christ that, in fact, insisted that He be crucified. So don't ever assume that a life of faith is going to make your life easier. It can do just the opposite. Perhaps you'll remember that whenever Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus when he was saved, one of the first things that God did was to reveal to him the many things that he would have to suffer. He wanted him to know right off the bat, if you're going to follow me, there are going to be a, going to be a lot of suffering involved. Jesus told his followers they would be hated, they would be despised, they would uh, wander about and not have a place to sleep or a pillow to lay their head upon. You know, believers have many wonderful benefits, but, but believe me when I say we never have a reason to think that we're going to be exempt from troubles and trials. Just getting your heart right with God is not going to pay off your bills down at the bank. It's not going to remove the scars from your body. It's not going to cause people around you to love you. It'll cause some people to despise you. And so whenever we look at this story of Abel, we see that faith will raise resentment from those that are self-righteous. But then number five, and we'll camp out on this, faith results in a life that counts for eternity. Faith results in a life that counts for all eternity. You know, if I told someone out here on the street that dead men can speak, they wouldn't believe that. I mean, who would? That is so far-fetched. You know, dead men tell no tales. They're dead. They can't speak. But I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm telling you that we ought to believe God, and God's telling us here that the blood of Abel still speaks to this very Day. That's exactly what it says here in our text. So what does the dead man say? Again, we don't have any record of his words, but we do know about his ways. And his life leaves us some lessons that, that no amount of words could ever teach us. But when we look at his ways, suddenly there are things that stand out. And from the grave, this is what Abel, even today, is saying. And I think maybe first on that list, he would be saying to us, you know, although we are not perfect, it's possible to be accepted by God. Even though, Think about that. Even though we're not perfect. You know, if we were perfect, if we were just like God, there wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be anything to worry about. I mean, God would be forced, as it were, to accept us because now we're on His level. We're His equal. How could a righteous God dare reject us? But boy, when we realize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it just, for the moment, it leaves us, as it were, without any hope or any help of any kind but God, but God. 
And God comes on the scene. And God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. You see, regardless of how bad you are, regardless of what your needs might be, regardless of how far from perfect you are, please understand it's possible for you to be accepted by God. There have been people that have said, oh, preacher, you just don't know what I've done. If you knew the things that I've done, you'd realize there is no hope for me. Let me tell you, there are no hopeless cases with God. There's hope for anyone if they'll do as Abel did, and that is put their faith in him. And so Abel is crying out, as it were, from the grave today, You don't have to be perfect to be accepted by God. Secondly, I think he's telling us, although we're mistreated, made miserable, and even murdered, that God will vindicate us by making all of the the wrongs right. That's why he tells us in Romans chapter number 12, you know, that we're to not seek vengeance on others he says vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord and how many times that we allow ourselves to get out of control and do things that we can't undo and do things that we're going to regret maybe for the rest of our life and and we do that because we're motivated by the fact that someone mistreated us and what we need to learn to do is just leave that with god Leave it with God. We don't have to get in a debate about every issue. We don't have to hate and despise people. You know, the truth of the matter is, if we really knew the spiritual condition of the people that mistreat us, rather than get angry with them, we would have a deep pity and sorrow for them, realizing that they're doing what they're doing because they don't have God in their life. So when someone mistreats you, please understand, in the first place, it's not anything worse than something you actually deserve. But secondly, the fact that God's going to take care of business. How many times we think, oh, I, I don't understand how, I don't understand how God just lets them get by with that. He's not letting them get by with it. God's long-suffering. There's a payday someday And every person has to give an account for the life that they lived. And so Abel is telling us, even when someone has mistreated you or even murdered you, just leave it with God. Don't seek revenge against them. But I I believe there's another thing that Abel is saying to us today, and it's this. And that is that the measure of your life isn't always seen during your lifetime. Whenever we look at the life of Abel, it, it well, it just looks like it's wasted of little value. I mean, he died relatively young, and, and there's no accomplishments of anything of note. You know, the Bible doesn't say when he did this, and he established that, and he formed this, and doesn't give us a long list of all of the things that he did. You know, it it appeared that Cain was the successful one. He fathered many children. He founded several cities, by the way, and he lived a long time. 
So by the standards of the world, Cain was the successful one, not Abel, but but now here we are, still talking about Abel and hearing from Abel. He is still teaching us to this very day from the grave. So Abel is the true success story. So folks, never assume that the measure of your life is going to be revealed during your lifetime. There are going to be a lot of things, you know, later on, and I'll get to that in a minute, things that will be revealed even when you're dead and gone. And that's the the thing he wants us to get, that your life will speak to others even after you're gone. I don't have words to describe the the power of a good example, a godly example. But when I look at this story, it tells me that Abel accomplished more in his death than he did in his life because a person's ways speak louder than their words, and here he is. He has spoken to every generation since his death. You see, our influence lasts longer than our lives Someday, someday your heart's going to stop beating. Your lungs will stop breathing. And they'll take you out here to, to the cemetery somewhere and dig a hole in the ground and throw six foot of dirt in your face. And there you'll be, dead and gone. Nobody will ever see your body again. But even when they've buried you, your influence lives on like an invisible hand reaching out from the grave, touching others. And and every life leaves a lesson of some sort. It might be good, it might be bad. But whenever you die, your life is going to leave a lesson. It was so good yesterday to hear hear Brother John's children speak about their, their love, their affection for their father and He made a deep impression upon them, and they never had to live wondering, did my daddy love me or not? They never had to wonder about that. He removed all of that doubt. So the question is, what will your life say? You're going to leave a message one way or the other, but what will the message be? And I'm telling you folks, all of this ought to encourage us to know that our labor is not in vain. The things that we do, in fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 58, he makes it very clear that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And there's numerous examples of that. I think about the story of David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the American Indians. And as a young Christian, having just surrendered to preach, one of the first books I read was the the biography of... uh, autobiography, actually the journals of David Brainerd, who, who lived just a few years upon this earth, but it is amazing how his story touched the lives of so many down through the many years. It, it, it's unbelievable. Jim Elliott is another one. You know, he goes down to the Alka Indians and, and uh, making an effort to bring them to Christ, and they, they kill him. Kill him and the others, Nate Saint and the others that all died as a result of that. And it looked like that their mission was a failure miserable. It looked like, 
this is crazy going down there and trying to reach people like that. And yet, if you've ever read the story, you know how that God used the blood of those missionaries that was shed and used their life and their example as a message to those people that a multitudes have been saved as a result of it. Can you imagine getting to heaven and suddenly, for the first time ever, seeing how God used your life in ways that you never even imagined, things you, you never even thought about. Tim used to sing a song. I, I wish I could remember all of the words to it. In fact, I, I couldn't even remember the title, but I just remembered that part about, you, you know, being in heaven and meeting people there and, and the one saying, uh, uh, you used to teach my Sunday school, I think, when I was only eight. And I asked Bev this morning, I said, what was the title of that song? And it's simply called, Thank You. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was saved as a result. And folks, I'm telling you, what you do for the Lord, it might look like it's all in vain. It might, it might look like that you're just wasting your time. But believe me, there's somebody watching you. You, you folks that are, uh, that are older, uh, make no mistake about it. Our, our young people have their eyes on you. And, and, and it's going to affect the, the way that they live. And that's why every one of us ought to determine in our heart that we're going to serve God until our very last breath. Because the reward for doing so is not just great, it's eternal. We are investing our lives in something that is of eternal value. And how sad it would be to think about someone wasting their life and missing all of the things that they could have had. And that's exactly what happened with Cain. He had all of the same opportunities that Abel had. And yet he said, well, I'm just going to do it my way. And his pride deprived him of all of the good things, all of the good things that we say about Abel, those same things could be said about Cain, except for his stubborn pride. You see, pride will cost you more than just the loss of your rewards. Your pride will cost you a home in heaven. Abel is mentioned first in all of these people in Hebrews 11 for this reason. His story reminds us that our relationship with God is the most important thing in life. That's, that's why he starts there. He doesn't start there because he's looking at it from the generational standpoint. He starts there because he wanted to nail this down, that the most important thing in a person's life is to have been accepted by God, to be righteous in the sight of God, and there's only one way to have that relationship, and that's what? Through faith. That's what the chapter is all as through faith, that we can have a relationship with God that will leave a message to the world long after we're gone. So I say to you, whatever you do, don't let your pride rob you 
and keep you from a life that is well lived. We don't have anything to be proud of, folks. We're just all sinners saved by grace. And we are so indebted to God that if we lived 10,000 years, we couldn't even begin to repay our debt to God. We owe Him everything. We owe Him to the extent that we are indebted to others, especially those that have never, never known Christ as their Savior. Pride, the most destructive force in all of the world, the very thing that made the devil the devil, the very thing that caused Adam and Eve to launch humanity off in this horrible pit. And there's only one way to overcome it, and that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you trust Him this morning? I hope God will... You know, I, I don't... I don't know how everybody is spending their life, but it might be someone this morning realizes, maybe for the first time, that I've been misspending my life. I've just been flittering it away. I've just been wasting my life. And I want to make my life count so that whenever, whenever they stand at the cemetery and put my body in the grave, that it'll leave a message that's worthy of the consideration of those I leave behind. Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us this great example. And, and thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us the possibility of becoming what you require us to be. You're not asking us to work miracles or to do anything impossible. You just ask us to trust you. God, I pray each and every person here today would do just that, for we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now while we stand and as we sing together, if God's speaking to your heart about anything, whether it's salvation, baptism, church membership, whatever it might be, would you come? Let God have His way. Don't do it your way.